have a Bible, why don't you go to Galatians chapter 2, just kind of park it there for a little bit. Um, If you look back over the last couple of months, um, you kind of get a sense that God has had us as a church, um, both in a a corporate sense and um, in an individual sense. Uh, he's really had us on a path that uh, is pretty cool. Um, over the summer, you know, we had the we stopped doing our normal community groups, and they were topical, uh, done in three-week segments. And you went to three different ones over the course of the summer, um, and all a variety of topics, uh, coupled with uh, we talked on Sunday nights about spiritual gifts um, over the course of the summer. And then we move into the start of school, and we, in our community groups, have been talking about the fruits of the Spirit, uh, or the fruit of the Spirit, I should say, and uh, that coupled with several weeks of talking about being filled with the Spirit and what that means biblically. Um, if you look ahead in this semester, we'll continue to talk about the fruit of the Spirit in the groups. We're doing a week on each one, um, and then... Uh, Two weeks from tonight, we'll start a series uh, here on Sunday nights on grace. And if you look at, at that, the Sunday nights and groups working together, combined with the personal application that seems to be happening um, in a lot of lives here, um, seems like God is just really at, at work and stirring up a lot of things. Um, he's equipping. He's uh, bringing things to the surface that need to be dealt with. He's tearing down old things and rebuilding them himself. He's um, pointing out lies that we believe um, and lies that we have built our lives on in a lot of ways, and he's taking those lies out and replacing them with his truth. Um, he really just, he's just doing a lot of things, and they're not small things. They are significant things. And one, one of the problems that can arise uh, when, when God's doing so much and when God's people are treating their spiritual growth as something serious and something that is not a game, um, it really makes uh, Satan very angry. And um, I'm not one of those guys that thinks there's a demon under every rock and Satan's to blame for everything that ever happens. Sometimes, sometimes you just were driving too fast and you got a ticket, you know. Uh, sometimes... There were just nails on the ground, and you drove over them, they got in your tire, and you had a flat tire on the way to work. It's not the devil trying to steal your joy. Um, it's just life, and it just kind of happens. And, um, but what, what often happens in those situations, the reason why the devil gets the blame for stuff um, is that because he is the classic complicator. He's, the, he's a liar. And so in the midst of those situations, let's take the traffic ticket or the flat tire or whatever, um, in the midst of that, he likes to come in and complicate and lie to us and tell us that, well, you know, you had a flat tire because you didn't have a quiet time this morning. See, that's how God works. You didn't, you didn't earn, um, earn a, a normal trip to work. 
you made him mad, so he made you have a flat tire. That's the kind of God you serve, blah, blah, blah. Um, he just comes in and does that. And when it comes to, um, like, the bigger things that he's doing, when you, when you have, like, there's some issue in your life that God brings to the surface, and he, God's like, okay, we're going to deal with this, and you're like, yes, we're going to deal with this, and you really start praying and taking steps of obedience, and you really start taking those things seriously, the same thing happens is that the enemy comes in and he begins to lie to you about things. Uh, scripture tells us not to give the devil an opportunity. And some translations word it, uh, don't give the devil a foothold. And I tell people all the time, the thing about the devil is he has really, really tiny feet. It does not take very much for him to, to gain some sort of position than to begin lying to us about things. And so if he'll lie to us about a flat tire and God's mad at us, then you know when you start really trying to deal with some issues, he's going to come in and tell you, well, you struggle with that since you were 12. I mean, why in the world do you really think, you really think God can fix that? You really think God can, can change that about you? You really think he can deliver you from that addiction or from that struggle? You really, you really think that you, can, um, that you can keep the commitments that you've made? And you really think you're going like, to spend time in the Word and prayer every day? I mean, every day? Really? 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 A lot of times that little foot gets in there. Next thing you know, we're kind of doubting a little bit. And the bigger the issue, the harder he works. And sometimes that foothold starts real small, and sometimes he digs in there pretty good. And next thing you know, you look over the last couple of months, and the things that you have sensed God was doing in your life, um, now they just seem like, well, maybe I was making that up, or I knew I wouldn't be able to walk it out, and all this kind of stuff. And so because we know that he's a liar with little feet, we're going to um, make sure that we have truth in front of us that wherever he tries to get a foot, that immediately turns slick and he just falls off of it. And that's a, that's a, a discipline of the mind issue. You know, that's something that um, we have to train ourselves to recognize the lies that are coming our way. And when he starts telling us something that, oh, well, you, you must have, you're not earning God's love, then you refute that by saying, yeah, because God's love is not something that I earn. That when, when you have, have made some sort of commitment or you, or you are, are trying to change some sort of pattern in your life and you mess up and he comes in and says, yep, see, told you, same old Josh, you're going to keep doing the same old stuff, same old stuff, then I'm able to refute that and say, no, I'm not the same. I'll never be the same. When he comes in and says, yeah, you messed up, you might as well just go all the way back. I'm like, no, no, that was just, you know, I had a bad day. I'm going to move on. His grace is just as strong today, and it's going to continue to be strong as, you know, whatever. And so you just end up shooting those things down. And so by keeping truth in front of us, those footholds are just not that effective. And it's a struggle because it's, it's something that we have to train ourselves how to do and discipline our minds to be able to not let those lies take root. And so the, the question is, okay, so what is, how do you counter that? Okay, we know about truth, but, I mean, okay, there's truth and there's lies. We, you know, okay, we understand that. 
But in, in a biblical sense, like what, what can we do to keep doubt from being effective, from keeping those footholds from being effective on the part of, of the enemy? And so what I want to do is I want to, to, to put a truth out in front of us, and I want us to put it in context um, in a way that can, can help us as we continue to see what God has for us, okay? And, and here, here's the truth, and it's not really one that maybe that we talk about enough, um, all right? So this is, this is the truth. You ready? It's transformational, all right? Um, God is a warrior, God is a warrior. A lot of times when we hear the word warrior, certain things pop into your mind. William Wallace, right? Maximus. If you're John Ringo, Tim Tebow. (laughs) Right? You start thinking Lord of the Rings, you start thinking all these films We've seen, you start thinking Beowulf and all this literature, you know, and, and uh, Lord of the Rings is also literature, I'm aware. Um, you know, we start, so there's all these things that come into our mind. You see a big bowed up guy with a giant sword and there's like blood spattered on him and all this kind of stuff. And that's, that's all accurate. See, that's the thing about a warrior is that warriors win. That's why they're called warriors. If you think, think about Braveheart, there's like this. There's just so many good scenes, and I used to reference Braveheart a lot, and I kind of had to detox from that because I was like, "There's other things out there." But you might remember, like in one of these battles, you know, there's there's William Wallace and all his guys are out there, and they're fighting, and, and he's the warrior poet, right? That's what he calls him. He's the warrior poet. He's out there with him. He's leading him all this kind of stuff. And then there's the King of England, and where is he? way, way off in the distance on the top of the hill, sitting up on his horse, giving orders, in full arm, like fully you know, dressed in all the armor, but of course no one's going to touch him, protected by the, like, the uh, laws of war. You don't look at, his name is Longshanks, you don't look at him and say, that dude's a warrior. You look at him and you say, that dude's a wuss. <laughs> William Wallace is the one covered in blood. He's the one out there fighting for his cause. Because warriors win. And I was watching TV yesterday, and they kept calling Tim Tebow the ultimate warrior. I was like, no, dude. I know who the ultimate warrior is. Remember him, the wrestler? His name, his name, was, his name was the ultimate warrior. That's how I knew that. Um, but that's what you think about. And I, got, I can't lie. Whenever, you, whenever they show footage... And I'll, I, don't, I wouldn't go as far as John did in saying I have a man crush on Tebow. But when that dude, when they show him work up and down the field, he's got, it's actually paint all over him, but red paint, but looks like blood. And he's screaming at his teammates. And he gets up at the press conference and says, no one will work harder and all this kind of stuff. And they engrave it at the school and put it on the wall. And they call him a warrior. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give him that. I'm not looking at the Vanderbilt Commodores and saying, those guys are warriors. No, 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 no. Because Tebow wins. And even though William Wallace died, hate to bre- you know, sorry, spoiler, uh, even though he died, he won, right? Maximus died, spoiler again, uh, but, but he won. And when we say God is a warrior, God only, he not only wins, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to lose. Like, he's never lost. Let's, I want to show you a couple of verses uh, real quick. In Exodus 15, 
This is what uh, Moses says. It says, the Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. All right, that's all the Egyptians that got drowned in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, I, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. In the NIV, it says, the Lord is a warrior. That's how it translates it. He's a man of war. He's a warrior. Let's look at another one. This is what uh, Job had to say. I think, yeah. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. Not the most positive day in Job's life, but um, he like, senses this intensity from the Lord. Um, Jeremiah 20, 11 says, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. In Isaiah 42, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war, also translated as warrior. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. All throughout the Old Testament, as a people who found themselves in the midst of a war, they recognized God's saving arm as the stepping in of a warrior fighting on their behalf. As you and I follow God obediently into the things that he's called us to and all the things that he's doing as a church and also in, as individuals, as we pursue those things, the truth we have to keep in front of us is that he is a man of war, that he is a warrior. Yes, he is gracious. Yes, he is compassionate. Yes, he is kind. Yes, he is patient. And unfortunately, there is that Jesus is Mr. Rogers kind of comparison out there. A lot of times we forget the warrior side of the Lord. So, that's the truth that I feel like for tonight and forever that we need one of the things we need to have in front of us. Now let's look at how it applies in the context of where we are. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The end of that verse talks about living by faith. That is, that is what is going to take that foothold of doubt and make it quickly become slick and the enemy just falls off. And as he's whispering that doubt, a lot of times the things that we are whispered, we kind of agree with. Because a lot of times doubt has to do with the unknown that is out in front of us. Can we carry out our commitments? Can we function without certain things in our lives? Can our marriages really be saturated with Christ? Can our, the way we view work really be um, as one of, this place is a mission field for me? Can this sin issue really be turned, can, can this really be redeemed in my life? Can I really have a view of money that is biblical Can I really find my worth in what Jesus says about me and not what other people think? 
we ask ourselves those questions as God stirs those things up and we look down our lives and we see, yeah, maybe that's going to be hard. You know, maybe, like that, maybe I'm not sure if that's really going to work for me, if I can really do this. Every one of those doubts has to do with some sort of legitimate question and, and some sort of unknown thing in our future. That's why he comes in and lies about it. The devil doesn't come in and find something some completely off-the-wall thing. He doesn't, he doesn't come in and be like, Jesus was an alien. Okay, no, he's not. That's too easy to refute. He's going to come in and say, you know what, you're going to fail at this just like you've always failed at it. He's going to find something that's going to make us go, oh, well, maybe so. So what does God being a warrior have to do with us living by faith? Look back at the verse. Look back at, at 20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What Paul is saying is that literally when Jesus died that day, Paul is saying that, that his, his old essence died as well. We talk about it a lot around here, but we're born into this sinful disposition, this natural leaning toward um, self-preservation, a self-driven life where our decisions and our motives and everything has to do with how can I further my own agenda. It's very egocentric. It's all about um, we have this void and how can I fill this void in my life? It's not saying that we're bad people. It's not saying that people who aren't Christians are completely evil and, you know, whatever. No, that's, that's the thing, is that everybody is born with this disposition toward self-centeredness. And so when he says, I was crucified with Christ, the I he was referring to is, is that old self. We call that the flesh. Paul calls it the flesh in chapter 5. This is what he's saying here. He's like, I, as I was born, was, I died with him that day. The, that old nature was crucified with Christ. So now, the life I have now is not my life. It's Christ's life living through me. So the old life was all about how can I further my own cause, and now it's Christ furthering his cause through our lives. This old versus new is something that Paul talks about a lot, and something we talk about a lot. So he's saying, now I'm driven by something else. That's why when God begins to do things and stir things up, that's why we get so motivated. Because when things rise to the surface and God says, we're going to deal with this issue that you have wrestled with for so long, or or we're going to deal with this that's just crept up, whatever it is, it's because that issue is contrary to who we are now. It's leftovers from those things that were crucified with him. And so we begin to trust God and we begin to try to walk in obedience and we get into the word and we say, what do you have to say about this? And we begin to pray and we begin to take things seriously. And the, the thing is, that old nature that still lingers around, it hates that. And Satan hates that. And that's why sometimes you may be in this room and with every bit of your being on a Sunday night, you may repent and you may have this this 
passionate like confession and this determined um, commitment. And by Tuesday, you're being like, well, that must have been a sham because it's already Tuesday and I've already reneged on all that stuff. That's where that doubt comes in. And so what Paul is saying is that now life in Christ is being driven by something else. I was crucified with Christ. Now it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And look at this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Faith is about trust. So the life I now live in the flesh, all right, in this, in this sense, he's talking about his, literally his body. So now the life that I live, um, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I used to live by my own agenda, and now I live by faith. He's saying, I live based, I live on the, like, everything hinging on the unknown in front of me. Which is so crazy, because a lot of times we run from that. We're so scared of, well, what if I mess up, and what if this happens, and this could happen, and this, and if I do this, it'd lead to this, and this, and this, and what if I have to tell people, what if people find out this, and this, and this, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he's saying, no, I live by that. I live leaned forward into the unknown. Because I'm trusting in the Son of God. Because I'm living by faith in the Son of God, living by faith in the warrior, in the man of war. Think about it like that. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the warrior. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't end there for us. It'd be easy. I mean, that's, that preaches pretty strong, I guess, you know? Live by faith in the warrior. We could have a pep rally and get really jammed up and be like, all right, we're going to live by faith in the warrior. And you could walk out and be like, I have no idea what that means, but it sounded kind of cool. Especially guys, you know? We like God as a warrior. Yeah. I don't need that kindness, compassion junk. He's a warrior. Same reason why we hate the love story element in all those movies. We just want to get out there and fight. Live by faith in the warrior based on two things, all right? You want a practical application? You want something that you can leave with tonight, that you can, like, pray these specific things, you can dig into this for your life, this is a pra- practical things you want to put in front of you? All right, there's two of them. I apologize that they don't start with the same letter. All right, we live by faith in the Son of God, the warrior, because he has fought for us, and he fights within us. He's fought for us, and he fights within us. For us, look at the end of verse 20. Life I... Life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loves you and he gave himself for you. See, he's fought for you already because he went to the cross. There's this, this song that is immensely popular now. It's called He Loves Us. and David Crowder Band covered it. Now, you know, everybody covers it and 
When our band does it, they do a version that's done by Kim Walker, which in my opinion just peels the paint off of the wall and smashes the Crowder Band version to bits. But don't tell him. Uh, but um, one of the things about that song is that it's very difficult to get through because of the emotions that it stirs up. But I'm afraid a lot of times we miss it. I think we miss the, the essence of the song and the part that really should make it even more difficult to sing. Because the chorus is just saying, He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. And we, in our, and I, I'm going to go ahead and speak for all of us, if that's okay. But typically, we see that and we see, Oh, how He loves us as a degree of love. We see John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His, his only Son, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We see how much He, he loves us this much. Or if you're at an Easter pageant, this much. <laughs> you know? uh, we think in degrees. And, sorry. We think in, in, in degrees like that, but I, what is so powerful about John 3.16, and what's powerful about that song is not the degree but it's the way. That's what that song is emphasizing. It's not, look how much he loves us. It's, look how he loves us. He loves us with his own life. It's not saying on a scale of 1 to 10, his love is a 12. It's totally different. line that song it says I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us see we live by faith complete trust in the warrior because of the way he has fought for us he is not going to lay down his own life to pay your ransom to buy you back only to sit back and watch you self-destruct He's not going to do that. All of Scripture basically says, you can trust me with every single bit of your life because I died so that you could be alive. And I'm not going to turn my back on you. And what he did at the cross is complete. He has fought for you. He went to war See, we were born with that disposition and not a thing we could do about it. On our best day, we couldn't change that situation. Not, nothing we could do. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And the warrior stepped in and bought back our freedom. So the truth is, when Paul says life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's enough. I can trust him with every single bit of my life because of that. I don't need more reason, but yet, one more measure of grace, he gives me more reasons to trust him. As if that's not enough. So we can live, we live by faith and trust, one, because... He's fought for us, too, because he fights within us. 
Flip over to it's chapter 5. We're going to come back to 2 in just a minute. In chapter 5, I said we were studying the, the fruit of the Spirit in community groups. And it's in the context of a discussion about the war between the flesh and the Spirit that is within us. Look at verse 17. It says, For the, des- the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we go from being in this, this one situation of the flesh to where we have no choice but to sin, and now God has saved us, but instead of moving us completely out of that, He's left us to where we have His Spirit in us, and we still have this flesh that's lingering around. And for whatever reason, that's, that's the boat that we're in. That's the way he decided to do it. A lot of times we'll, t- we'll talk about this. We have this diagram of these two circles that overlap. Don't, don't put it up yet. We'll put it up in a second. These two circles overlap. One circle is for the flesh and one's for the spirit and how we're kind of in that overlap. And I had a professor say that that's like God's classroom where he teaches us over time to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. That God leaves us in tension between the, the flesh and the spirit on purpose because it is a way of, of retraining us and purifying us. And as he, he does that out in front of everybody so that people look at our lives and as we change more and more and more, people look at them and say, I don't know what's, what's up with this guy, but he used to be this way and now he's this way. And I'm pretty sure it has something to do with church or something because he goes all the time. And people are drawn to that. They're drawn to the redeeming, transformational power of the Lord through our lives being on display. So there's a war going on. So before we uh, think about that, war, internal war, God is a warrior. If there's a war going on, if there is a war going on in this room, I would not be the one people are wanting to step up and defend. I'm looking for the biggest, strongest, toughest dude around or someone with like military training or someone with just that kind of weird edge to them that just wouldn't mind mixing it up, you know? If there was something going on, you look for the warrior in the room, right? In the midst of the war going on inside of us, literally, the warrior is here. So look at, look at verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, walk by the Spirit. That's a, kind of on the same lines of live by faith. Live dependently on Him. Look at that verse. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I like how it doesn't say, and you probably won't. Yeah, yeah, man, probably, yeah, probably. Oh, okay, well, maybe you won't. Desire, yeah, yeah. Hopefully you won't, like, struggle with stuff, maybe. But I kind of feel like that's a lot of times how we look at that verse, or verses like that, because of that doubt. What this says, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How is that even possible? Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
The flesh has been crucified, but it is not dead. The flesh has been crucified, and it is bleeding to death. He's fought for us at the cross. He fights within us every day as we abide in him. As we live by faith, trusting that to, like today, he will fight within me. That everything that I'm called to do as I walk in obedience is not done apart from his power. It is done with him. John Piper he talks about how like you're fighting and you, and you have a sword, but Christ's hand is around your hand. It is crucified. But the problem is, a lot of times, that crucified flesh that's there, we keep like sneaking at food to kind of help it live a little longer. Not, not, not really on purpose. A lot of times just little innocent things. Things we watch conversations we have, things that we don't do, not praying, not spending time in the Word, not, you know, all those kind of things. Those, that's all slip in the uh, flesh, you know, a little Nutri-Grain bar, Cliff bar here and there. You can't live on Cliff bars. At some point, you've got to have a steak. And so I want us like, to have a, a, a good understanding in a, in a war-type sense of what's going on. Dave, you put that picture up with the two circles. Um, there are lots of times when, like, when we'll talk about this, and so you have like, like the flesh over here and the spirit over here, and um, that we kind of live in that, in that uh, overlap. And the thing is, like in this diagram, these two circles are the same size, right? Roughly-ish. What I'm about to say, I don't want you to, I don't want to lessen the importance of keeping the flesh crucified and continuing to starve it out plays, okay? But I want us to understand in Christ the reality of what's going on. And in this program, we run the words, we can't really do graphics and stuff, um, but a more accurate one would be, let's say that this was the flesh one over here, it would be like super small and like withered and like bleeding with like a knife stuck in it. That would be the crucified flesh. They are not equal. Okay? That would be this one over here, shriveled and dying and bleeding to death. And this one would be like, like crazy big bold font, probably like stainless steel, anything strong you can think of, and like really, really big. Uh, really, really big. And a lot of times we'll put a picture um, in the middle of it. Go back one, Dave. A lot of times we'll put a picture in the middle and like it would be Juan or it would be whoever. But we really need to think that it's this guy. Um, he's the ultimate warrior. I'll just soak that one in for a second, okay? Oh, you can take it down. It's scarring. I know. See, that's, that's, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Is that he fought for us at the cross, but he fights within us every day. 
And so whatever you are, are up against, recognizing the fact that the flesh is crucified, bleeding to, get to death and shriveled up, the spirit is strong, is the warrior, and that is you in the middle being like, I, this is going to happen. Not because you're awesome. But because when it says flesh versus spirit, that spirit has a capital S. And that spirit is the warrior fighting within you. And that's why we can live by faith. Because he has fought for us at the cross. He loved us and gave himself for us. And he fights within us every day as we abide. So when you look at in front of you and you say, well, what about this and what about this and what about this? What if I mess up? What if this happens? Well, the warrior is there. Your flesh hates that because your flesh wants, wants to do everything on your own. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. See, I fought for you to do what you couldn't do by yourself, and now I fight within you to do what you can't do by yourself. And when we keep those two things in mind, it changes everything. Go, go look back at, at 2.20 as we wrap up right now. This verse encompasses both of those things together. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All right? The big, strong circle, the little dying flesh circle, and you, the ultimate warrior, uh, in the middle. Raging against whatever it is. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In that verse, you have both of those things. It's fought for you, fights within you. And look, that is the truth. And even when we leave here tonight, the enemy is going to try to somehow make you think that all this stuff and all these verses and whatever is not true. And it's the very first time for you to call him a liar and tell him that you know the truth. And every step of obedience that you take, every moment that we live by faith, takes that foothold, makes it slick, and he's, then he's got to find another way in. It is encouraging when these struggles happen. The problem comes when we're so callous that we haven't felt conviction, we haven't, we haven't had those moments of tension in a long time. But the warrior loves that. The warrior loves to stir things up. And so I think we need to let him. If we're called to live by faith, then we're called to live by faith. I said this brilliant statement the other night. I said, God, there's always going to be faith in everything because if there's no faith, then there's no faith. Right? If God removes the element of faith and we have no reason to trust him, then he removes the trust. And where's, where, is, where are we without trust? He intentionally has that mysterious thing in front of us to see, are you going to step in and trust me? Are you going to take this next step? Are you going to take this next step? Even if you mess up, are you going to take this next step? Don't worry about what people think. Are you going to take this next step? Live by faith. Live by faith. Live by faith. I don't know where it fits into your life, but there it is.
Let me pray for us. God, we are grateful for so many things as we're here tonight. God, we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the way that you love us. We're thankful that you love us at all. And in and of ourselves, we are unworthy. But because you have made us yours, we now are worthy because we're worth something to you. And Father, you know the needs in this room. You know, you know where every one of us is. There's nothing hidden from you. You know the things that we are doubting, the things we're struggling with. You know the, the obstacles that are in our path for us when it comes to really living by faith and leaning into that mystery that is in front of us, trusting you fully. So God, I'm, I'm asking you on behalf of all of us tonight that you would prove yourself to be a warrior tonight. That you would show us how you have already fought for us that you're ready to fight within us. We don't have to get a bunch of stuff straight. We don't have to make all these radical changes. We don't have to we don't have to do anything other than trust you and step into that. So God in these moments as we as we consider where we are, God, I pray that you just you just tend to each of us.